me uh, encourage you guys, because it may take you a moment to find this. We're not turning to Exodus 20. We're going to turn to Exodus 21 this morning, so I'm going to give you a little extra time to find that in your Bibles. Um, Boy, there's just a lot that we could spend some time and would be worthy for us to spend some time giving thanks for uh, so many folks that serve and make a difference. But, you know, this little things that are unusually characteristic of who you guys are as a church and, and what you do with invitations, I think, needs to get acknowledged because it's amazing to me when we have opportunities to share the good news of the impact of the gospel that can come to a person's life how you guys extend that into other people's lives and give them an opportunity to respond. You know, we always have an amazing number of folks who attend our Alpha course, but that only happens because you're extending invitations to people that God's put in your lives. And so this is a, a strategic thing here in your life, this little invitation here. And so I'm walking in this morning, and I get a report from one of the guys in the church who just shared a testimony that he had taken the Facebook post that Evan had created, uh, that Eric created for this event and had shared it somehow. And I don't understand how any of this stuff happens, but and apparently there's a way to sort of invite people to stuff through Facebook. And there'd been a, a woman that he knew in the past and she saw this invitation and she responded and said, Hey, I'm coming because in the, in the past year she's lost her husband and she's just in a different place. And I just thought, you know, Lord, this, this is how the good news sometimes finds people that are in our lives that have been there for years, that you've invited before and they've, they've said, no, nah, I'm not coming to that, or they just kind of acted weird or just ignored your invitation. But you don't know what's happened in their life in the past year that suddenly their heart has come to a, alive to the fact that they need God. And now when you invite them to encounter God, they're going to be in a different place. And you don't know that. So can I encourage some cyber courage? Right? Some of us are just looking for an opportunity to be bold for Jesus. Well, you know, hide behind your keypad and be bold for Jesus and stick a Facebook thing out there and say, hey, everybody, anybody, can I just tell you there's this opportunity for you to meet God in an amazing way. It's going to be happening. Here's the event. Here's the invitation, blah, blah, blah. And take advantage of giving your voice an opportunity. You know what invitations do for you? I'm not even preaching yet. Do you know what invitations do for you? invitations give you the opportunity to explain the gospel to people. Because at some point, somebody wants to know, why are you inviting me to this? Hey, I noticed you mentioned that you go, I didn't even know you went to church. What's up with that? And next thing you know, you have an opportunity to explain what God has done in your life. So be cyber brave in the coming week and send out all kinds of invitations for folks who knows where they are this year and what they need to hear. Amen? All right. Exodus chapter 21, I'll title of the message today, this is an interesting point in the history of this book and what it's trying to teach us, living life on purpose. And so we're, we're hitting a bit of a, a transition point here in the story of the people of Israel and, and what God is doing with them. Now, I'm not going to actually read quite a bit from this next section today. I just want to introduce it to us, and I want to prepare us for why God gave it to us. But this next little section, like you have the Ten Commandments, we spent a great deal of time in the Ten Commandments. And then from about the end of chapter 20, right at the beginning of chapter 21, in through chapter 23, you're going to get something that the Bible is going to refer to as the Book of the Covenant. 
right? So God is making a special covenant arrangement with these people, and he's going to give details as to what that's going to look like and how you're to live your life. And it's really going to unfold really for quite a bit more than just this section here, but you'll see I put there at the beginning of your outline, Exodus 24, verse 7, reflects back on this presentation that God has given to Moses and says, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, right? So we're not going to read much of it today. We'll do more with it next week, but I just want you to be aware of, of what's, what's going on. Where are we in the timeline of these people's lives, right? So I'll put together a little graphic image for you to geographically follow along with. Where are we as we follow this story? And you know, everybody's life is on a journey. So I love, I love the journey sense that we're in touch with in the book of Exodus, right? So you get, these folks have lived their lives 430 years in Egypt. A life that was characterized primarily, although it wasn't all slavery, it was primarily characterized by enslavement. And so God is up to something right here in this story. God has chosen to reach into these people's lives who have been characterized and overcome and oppressed by an enslaving power in their lives. And he has chosen to step into that which they cannot free themselves from and rescue them and free them. Now, God does this not just for their sake, but to teach us something, right? Because that's our storyline too. Years and years, historic humanity trapped in slavery to the power of sin unable to free ourselves. And God steps into that, right? And so he rescues them out and he brings them to Mount Sinai. Now, if you follow the timeline here, Mount Sinai is going to occupy about 11 months of their life. So they're going to spend some time here at Mount Sinai. And, and if you want to follow the Bible, Bible's interesting, right? You get, a, you get thousands of years covered in Genesis. You get about a year covered in Exodus, and that spills over, right? This stay, this 11-month stay at Mount Sinai is what gives us this section of the Bible, Exodus 19 through 40, Leviticus, the entire book, and Numbers chapter 1 all the way through chapter 10. And then from chapter 10 to the end of the book of Numbers, they're going to wander in the wilderness. So that dotted line there that says approximately two weeks, that's how long it could have taken them to go into the promised land, right? So they're going to leave Mount Sinai and in about two weeks, it says 11 days it took them to get to Kadesh Barnea, which was just outside the promised land. So I've just, maybe a few more days to tidy some things up and pass into the land. So in two weeks, they could have been in the promised land. But remember, their unbelief, and we'll, we'll touch base on that, kept them out. Deuteronomy, so when we get to the next book in the Bible, right, you have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is God rehearsing the law and what he gave them at Mount Sinai right before they go into the land. So it's almost as though we have this gathering point taking place in the book of Deuteronomy where God again gathers his people and says, okay, just a reminder, guys, we're stepping into the promised land and here's the game plan. So Mount Sinai, if you will, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, it's got this little location to it. It's a bit of a pivot point in the story of these people's lives. Suddenly, a new chapter has dawned in their life. And with this new chapter comes new instruction. God's going to say some things at Mount Sinai that he hasn't 
clearly and in detail revealed to his people before. But he's about to do that. And I, I love what's taking place here because it's not just a story from the desert. It, it's a story that's true for us, too. Because you and I have lives that are full of transition points. Places where God's about to bring us into another land, if you will. And, and what we're going to learn from these passages today, I think, is very helpful for whatever land you're about to venture into in God's purpose in your life, right? Peter ends in his commentary on Exodus, says, these laws and the book of Exodus as a whole are meant to prepare Israel for entering the land and living there in accordance with God's purpose, right? There's a lot of information going to be given in Mount Sinai. That's why we've stayed here for so long, because God is bringing up a lot of important material. He's preparing people for something. He's sending them into something. Which, you know, I mean, you're, you're here this morning in all kinds of places. I look at different faces and ages and agenda items and things that are coming next in your life. And what's up with that, right? What kind of questions are you asking about what are you going to do next in your life? What's the next chapter for you that God is bringing you into in your life? Right? You, could, you could be entering into the teen years, you're a young person here, and you got to be asking the question, so, so what now in my life? What, what's this going to be about? What do I prepare for? What do I aim at? What do I value? Or maybe you're graduating high school, or maybe you're graduating college, and you're asking the question, what now? What, what am I going to do next? Or maybe you're beyond the years of children living at home, maybe the last one's about to exit the home in the coming months, and you're going to, empty, you're going to enter into that empty nest season of life, and you're asking the question, so what's, what's next for me? All right, can I, can I just encourage you and do this with me, all right? So we're in Exodus. If you have a real living Bible, not an electronic one, you can do this with me. If not, do the best you can. Just keep turning through these books where God reveals himself, right? We go through the end of Exodus. We go through Leviticus, Numbers, and then we get to the doorstep of the promised land. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. And so here is God bringing up the same content again of what he shared with the people after they've come out of Egypt, while they're camped at Mount Sinai, they've wandered in the wilderness 40 years, and God is going to give them something that's really pretty important. It, it's, it's what I would call a mission statement for their lives. Do you have a mission statement for your life, by the way? Do you have, do you have something that everything that's in your life Every activity you're going to pursue, everything you're going to invest your time in, invest your energy in, it, it's got to answer to that mission statement. It's got to answer the question, is this going to be about what God has me to be about? Right, you do recognize that, that God has you to be about something. He created you for something. Male, female, young, old, to live with certain talents, to have certain personality elements. God uniquely created you to fulfill the purpose he had for your life. So when something comes into your life or you're about to make a decision, maybe you're going to make a decision in 2017 about whether you're going to stay living in New Orleans or not. 
Maybe you're going to make a decision about whether you're going to get married or not. Listen, before you go making those decisions void of any context or parameters, that decision has to answer to a mission statement in your life. If you're a believer, if you're following Christ, then he's got dibs on your life. And you've got to answer, is what I'm about to do going to further God's purpose in my life or not? Because if it's not, then you've got no business doing it. And so here's a great, if you're shopping in the Bible for something concise of a mission statement, this is a great mission statement. And I know it's given in the Old Testament, so sometimes we sort of cast a shadow on that. But there's, this pretty much transfers into the New Testament. It just it takes on a little bit different color and an upgrade of understanding, but it transfers, right? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. If I just stop right there and said, hey, if you're shopping in the Bible for something that frames your understanding of what's, what's your life mission, well, here's the Lord interacts with his people and says, this is what I require of you. Here's your life mission. And so these are, these are great things to pray through. I just prayed through this verse the other night, just looking, Lord, what does it look like for me to fear you? Lord, you had a vision for my life to fear who you are and to walk in your ways. God, I... How am I doing? Right Here we are at the end of 2016. We're about to transition into 2017. This is a good moment for us to revisit. How are you doing? Are you living the life that God gave you to live? Does it, does it get characterized by these kinds of words? Are these concepts living and vibrant or have I lost my way? It's a good thing to ask at the end of 2016. Right? And he goes on and just expands a little bit. Verse 14, behold... To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you, above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Israel. That's just an example where God jumps in and says, hey, in your mission in this world, make sure you treat people the way I've treated you. By the way, that's going to be a little hard, isn't it? I mean, just think for right now. Are you You've been treating people the way you've been treated? And it's kind of the basis of what God turns his people towards others and says, hey, remember, you were sojourners. Remember how you got treated when you were sojourners? How'd you like that when you were in the land of Egypt and they treated you like slaves? Hey, make sure you don't treat people the way you've been treated. You treat them the way I've treated you. Right? That's what God says here. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. 
Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now, look, the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. This is a great mission statement for the life of someone who says they belong to God. This is what the Lord's after. And we get a bit of an upgrade when we get to the New Testament, but in the heart of God, this doesn't change much. Right? We, we shouldn't, hopefully, we've spent enough time in the Ten Commandments to realize we shouldn't be entering the New Testament and, and taking the old covenant teachings and throwing them in the garbage can like, oh, we've got the new covenant now. Well, it's not about keeping commands anymore. Okay, hopefully we, we've spent enough time recognizing that. The new covenant is full of commands. God still has an interest in us doing things a certain way. So he still commands us to live our lives a certain way, just like he commanded them to live their lives a certain way. The reason being, he's got a purpose to fulfill through his people. He did then, and he does now. But here's what's interesting. If you're going to enter this land, right, because there's a land set before them. They've got a little quick break here. Hey, let's huddle up at Mount Sinai. Okay, everybody, come on in here real quick. Let me just tell you some things. They don't know fully where they're going and what's up there, but God is preparing them for that, and now he's going to send them into the land. And in one sense, we understand that ultimately the promised land for us is beyond this life in a place called glory, where the complete fulfillment of God's great goodness toward us gets fully realized. But when God gets involved in your life, in some ways, every next step of the plan of God is a bit of a promised land. It's a bit of a land where God has made promises to you, and you're about to enter into it. And so 2017 is going to be a land where you're going to enter into some kind of promise that God has made to you, and he's doing something in your life. And I think what we see here, God prepares them by saying particular things to them and by covering particular ground. And I want to highlight this, and we'll come take these apart next week and explain them a little better. But there are three dimensions to the law that are given here at Mount Sinai, right? I'll just look at your quote here. Mr. Pink covers this as well as anybody. He says, the law of Moses had three grand divisions, the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. The first is to be found in the Ten Commandments. The second, mainly in Exodus 21 through 23, although if you keep going, it's going to be quite a bit developed in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The first defined God's claims upon Israel as human creatures. The second was for the social regulation of the Hebrew commonwealth. The third respected Israel's religious life. So here's what I want to highlight. Right? There is a moral dimension of the law that I'm, I'm going to say as we study through this today has to do with you managing yourself what you will let yourself do and not do, convictions you will have about who you're going to be and who you're not going to be. So there's a dimension of God's law that comes to you and talks to you about you. And then there's another dimension of God's law, the civil law that's in the scriptures, that has to do with how you're going to relate to others. What are you going to do? How are you going to treat other people? How are you going to pursue other people? Are you going to pursue other people? How will you treat them? How will you treat them when they do you wrong? How will you treat them when you do them wrong? 
right? That's the civil law that's given. So we have some self-law that we need to learn about. We have some law regarding our relationship with others. And then we have these ceremonial laws. And there's a lot of ceremonial law given at Mount Sinai. And we're going to get especially that. We get a little bit of it in the book of the covenant, get a lot of it starting in Exodus chapter 25. But ceremonial law has to do with your relationship specifically to God. How do you approach God? How do you relate to God? What is your relationship like with God? Right? So these three dimensions, I want to say it this way. This is what God did. I'm just going to mimic what God did. He brought them to a huddle, said, hey, God, pregame meeting here. We're about to take the field. We're just a couple of weeks outside of Canaan. So when we go into Canaan, look, these three things, make sure you get these three areas. Make sure they're intentionally occupying your life. Moral regulations, civil regulations, and ceremonial regulations. All right, And that's what he does with them. And then he says, all right, break, let's go. And they go to take the field. And so I'm thinking, God, this, this is helpful. If I, if I want to know how to dwell in the land that you're blessing my life with, I might need to pay attention and be intentional about these three areas in my life. So let's walk through those three areas and consider them that God gave to them. Right, first, intentional morality. Right, these laws that were given, primarily the Ten Commandments, they are, they are moral laws. They defined a sense of morality for humanity. They are, they are boundaries for us. They are a sense of responsibility. They are convictions that you intend to act on. That's an important phrase. I think the people of God today lack convictions. And then for those of us who have convictions, we might be a little bit light on whether we ever really intend to act on them and be guided by them and live our lives within its parameters. But, but here's the tone. If you listen to the tone of the Ten Commandments, the tone of the Ten Commandments features a lot of the word you, and it touches on your actions and your attitudes. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't you let that happen in your heart. Right? It's speaking to you. It's thrusting into your lap this sense of responsibility for whether or not you're going to have idols or not in your life. You shall honor your mother and your father. Right? So no matter what else informs that category, you take responsibility for whether or not you have an honoring attitude towards these people that are in your life. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Right? So there is this sense that the, the moral law is addressing where am I going to let myself go and not go? And let's face it, there's a lot of forces that are going to pull on the human being that's being told this. There's going to be temptations. Let's just assume everybody's not wired the same way. You do recognize that, right? You know, there's some things that you've never been tempted in. You just haven't. For some reason, the devil knows to leave you alone in that category. And for whatever reason, you're just not wired that way. So, but you know somebody else who's tempted galore in that category. For them, they struggle all over the place. Different forces are going to impact your life. And the same voice, you know the same voice says to everybody in this room, don't commit adultery? Now, how many of you guys know that not everybody is equally tempted in that category? 
But the Bible says the same thing one way to everybody in this category. It says, hey, you and you, you who don't struggle much in this category and you who struggle a lot, both same thing. Don't let yourself go there, either one of you. And it doesn't make room for one guy to say, hey, that's easy for him to do. But wait a minute, time out. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time with that. Do you know what I'm wired like? Do you have any idea the hormones running around inside of me? Right? The Bible just doesn't go there with you. Does that mean you don't have these crazy set of hormones running around in you? No, it doesn't, doesn't mean that. Maybe you do. But it doesn't let you off the hook. God says, if you're going to dwell in the land that I'm giving you, you're going to need moral boundaries. You're going to need to bump into, nope, don't do that. Yes, do that. And that's a good thing. And you know, that's a little tough in our victimization world today. Perhaps like never before in our lifetimes, we live in an age where everybody's a victim of something else. Something's happened, something in your past, something in your ancestry, something in your history, something in your economic background, something in the way the brain chemistry works for you. Just, there's something that chronically tells us this doesn't quite apply to you. You don't really have to fully do that. All right, can anybody just travel with me for a second? Are, you know, we're in Exodus. Are we talking about human beings here? Just curious. God is speaking to, to aliens, robots, or people just like us. How many of us recognize that they were fallen just like we are fallen? That they had issues just like we had issues? That they had ancestry? They had parents. Listen, there was a time in which um, psychological counseling majored in taking your parents apart, right? So, because the idea was if you had just been raised differently, you'd be different, right? And, uh, yeah, a little bit of that in the Bible. But, you know, before parents showed up, sin was already there. And so you were on your way to be a jerk long before you actually had the parents that you had, um, it was in the human race. And so you were infected by this thing. But, you know, there was this discovery of your parents and discovery of how you were raised. And, and what does that do for you? I'm not saying that's not some kind of validity to discover yourself a little bit. But what does that do for you? Does it posture you in terms of today's responsibility to look back and go, well, it's understandable why I am the way I am? I mean, look at my parents, for goodness sake. They were a mess, if you ever met them. So, uh, so am I trying to say, well, I know God gave these Ten Commandments to the human race here, but, you know, but I'm the exception because of, because of what? Because of poverty? Do we accept criminal activity because people come from a background of poverty? Uh, these guys are about to step off into a land where they got nothing. Zippo. They don't even have a job. They got no land except they're going to have to fight and take it away from some other people. I'm pretty sure unemployment's going to be an issue. And how do we get our next meal? And how do we protect ourselves? We feel threatened. All kinds of opportunities to steal are going to be before these people. And yet God is saying, you know, when you go into that land over there, the land where you may face threats, unemployment, you can't meet your own needs, do not steal. 
God installs this idea of boundaries in our lives. You're not going to have a healthy, productive 2017 if you don't significantly own that God's purpose to be fulfilled in your life has something to do with you saying no to some things and yes to some things. You doing that. It's interesting, some, there are some talk shows out there that get popular simply because the host takes a position that makes people responsible for their own actions. Instead of being another talk show that stands up and talks about social issues by blaming it on the government and blaming it on this group and blaming it on that group and that group should have done this and those people are always doing the wrong thing. And listen, when you hear that after visiting Mount Sinai, sirens should go off in your head. When you hear a culture that makes people feel like they're not responsible for themselves as a Christian, can you be salt and light in this world and stop acting like that's okay? Public policies and sociology and all these governmental ideas that look at one group did something wrong, so therefore, it's understandable that this group would do their thing wrong. You understand, these guys are coming out of 430 years of oppression. They got some messed up stories. They've been neglected, they've been abused, they've been taken advantage of, and God just wants to step in and say, oh, and by the way, make sure you live within some moral boundaries. You tell yourself no, and you say yes to this over here. And nobody gets to turn to God and say, wait, whoa, whoa, time out, God. Do you have any idea what slavery did to us? Do you have any idea what oppression did to us? I was abused. I was neglected. I was hurt. Listen, you do recognize they've got issues in their life. But you know what doesn't help somebody go into the land and flourish? Is one excuse after another. Say here, well, you know what? Well, then you don't take responsibility for any of this stuff. Listen, this is for everybody else. You just go ahead and try and dwell in the land and let yourself go ahead off the leash. Don't live with any yeses and nos. Don't call yourself to task and tell yourself, don't do that. Okay, this is, this is liberal social policies at their worst. Just let the Bible speak into humanity for a moment. God had no problem saying, I know you're just meeting me, and I know where you just came from, and it took you less than two months to get here, so I know this is all fresh for you. But this is who I am, and this is who you're going to be. And you and I need to let God speak to us that way. And I need to have a sense of taking responsibility for my life. I am better off, even if I do this to an extreme, I am better off being responsible for my actions than I am making excuses for my actions. Period. Does that mean there aren't any real issues in my life that could contribute to me struggling? No, there are. But I will be better off taking responsibility for my life than I ever will be making excuses for my life. And that's what God does here. He installs this sense of moral compass and moral boundaries. And the New Testament does this as well. Right? When we get into the New Testament, it's not as though the New Testament goes silent and stops saying, do this and don't do that. Right? Colossians chapter 3 would be just an example of many verses in the New Testament that sound this way. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
And these you once too walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. You must. Stop it. That's kind of like the uh, third grade version of the Bible, right? That would be how it would be translated. Stop it. (laughs) Just stop it. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. And you do recognize, we learned that the Ten Commandments is God introducing himself and imaging himself in human form through those ten concepts. He says, when you go into the land, here's your assignment. You're going into the land to restore what Adam lost to image me into this world. That's why you're going. And when you go in, you're going you're gonna to look like this. You're going to look like you got no other gods before me. And you're not going to make images. And you're going to honor your mother and your father. And you're not going to murder. That's what my image is going to look like when it takes on shape through your life. And here we are in Colossians, the same idea. Put to death these things. No longer do these things. Stop it. Why? Because you're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. God is still up to the same thing with his people. So the assignment that they have going into the promised land is the assignment you and I have going into whatever land God's got for us to bring forth his image. And to do that, you're going to have to tell yourself no sometimes. Does that sound like the New Testament? It's a command. Don't do that. Right? I, don't know, I don't know how we get so upside down in this. This is why I want us to hang out in the book of Exodus and get a good knowledge of what, what does it say and what does it not say. We've got this idea that New Testament grace means there are no boundaries. It's grace, man. It doesn't matter what you do. Well, in, in, in one sense, in the category of justification, it doesn't matter what you do. But in a lot of other senses, oh, yes, it does. You do remember, this is in the New Testament, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared to all men, training us, teaching us to say no to unrighteousness and ungodly passions. Did you know the grace of God? You know that, that really sweet tasting, mushy grace thing? When it speaks to you, part of its vocabulary will sound like this. Say no to that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Stop it. That, you know, that's just not the nagging old covenant God saying that to you. That's the grace of God at some point training you to say no to that. Why? Because God's bringing you into a land to fulfill a promise in and through your life. And if you don't say no to that, you're not going to live in that promise. And you're not going to fulfill that purpose in your life. All right, move to the second thought here. We have intentional morality and intentional civility, right? This, this has to do with managing how we relate to others. God says, you're going to go into the land. You have relationships. You have people in your life. They're there by my design. Some of them are your family. Some of them are friends. Some of them are community members. Some of them are your enemies, And you are called to be intentional in every one of those aspects of your life as a people and as an individual. 
So you and I are to live our lives toward other people with intentionality, armed with wisdom. How many of you guys are people people? You just, you just thrive off of being around people. Let's see if we can just figure ourselves out for a second. Everybody raise your hand. You're a people person. You love to be around people. Or how many of you guys, if given the choice, would like to avoid people? All right. Uh, you recognize that, so that means that there's ambition and fear in us that with regards to people, right? Those of you who want to be around people a lot, you have an ambition. There's something in you that you want that you get from people. So, you know, don't, don't think that you're just all godly. You came into this world and you thought trapped inside of people was some kind of treasure you'd like to suck out of them. So you, you seek people out for interesting reasons. You have ambitions in you. How many of you know those ambitions can become corrupted? They can become problematic. You can become a user. You can weigh everything that people do in your life, whether or not they're playing in your world correctly. You can develop attitudes toward those who said something that you don't know if that supported who you are and applauded who you are sufficiently. So you'll never get around them again. And they're coming for Thanksgiving. Oh my gosh. Right? So and then there's, there's people who are afraid of people, people who, you know, I, I've just got these issues with being around people. It just makes me feel weird. My skin crawls. I don't know what to say. I think everybody in the room is staring at me. They're waiting for me to say something. I don't know what to say. So I would just rather be alone, right? And yet God says, okay, well, I'm about to introduce you to something here. I have a plan for you to be involved with people. So I'm going to give you ideas about here's how you manage the people thing. Here's how you run towards people. Here's how you interact with them. Here's how you relate to their faults and their failures and your faults and your failures in relationship. But, you know, without going into some of the details, I mean, we'll, we'll look through some of this in more detail next week. But let me just go back to Exodus 21. Let's just catch a taste here. All right, first thing, and this is curious, and I won't develop this at all this week. Curious thing, first thing in the book is to address an issue of slavery. First, civil law has to do with slavery. Now, these are the laws or the rules that you shall set before them. Verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. In the seventh, he shall go free for nothing. And he goes on and gives regulations in that category. Look at verse 12. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies, he shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, right? If there wasn't any intent here, but God let him fail, uh, fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. And so they had these cities of refuge, just ways of managing conflict that were breaking out amongst these people. Verse 28, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. And you keep reading, unless... That ox has a history of goring people, and that owner knows it, and he didn't do anything about it, and he let him gore one person after another. Now, that guy's responsible. So there's all these interesting laws that God gives, but there's laws in here as well about dealing with people and uh, not forcing people into slavery. Look at verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him, anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. So you don't treat people that way. You don't enslave people and force them against their will to, to, into servitude. There was issues of restitution towards others that the Bible prescribed that 
you know, unlike sort of the penal code that we have, somebody can rob you blind, wreck all your stuff, and they go to jail and you just stay bankrupt. You get nothing. Nobody fixes anything. The guy's not responsible to fix anything in your life. He wrecked your life, but he just goes to jail. Well, they didn't have a jail system in this setting. So for the most part, uh, he either was going to become your servant or he was going to take out of his own possessions and pay you back for what he did, plus some more. So there was laws of restitution that were there. There were laws about how to engage people who had less than you if they were suffering, if they were poor and they were in need. These laws were going to tell you to pay attention to their need and, and do this in your own field so that you leave room for people who have need to actually benefit from you. So there were laws that guided how we treated one another in this land. And listen, that's not just an Old Testament thing. You know, the New Testament, I think the New Testament actually furthers this extremely. It doesn't, you know, you, you can get through some of these laws in the Old Testament, but listen to the New Testament version of this stuff. Right? You know all the one another's that are in the Bible? If you read the New Testament, notice how many times you hear the word one another, one another, one another. What has to do with how we treat one another? And so it's sort of like God saying, hey, huddle up, huddle up, not Mount Sinai, but, you know, Golgotha, huddle up right here. When you go to live in the land of being the New Testament people of God, pay attention. Morality, civility, and ceremony all still matter, right? So civilly, how does God speak in the New Testament? Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Right? That's a loaded concept because this is not just tolerance at a distance. This is engagement. This is affection towards each other. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. In other words, don't be lazy relationally. Don't lay back and not be toward people what I'm calling you to be. Outdo each other in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I mean, listen, let that come to life for a second. This is God commanding his people to do stuff like this toward each other, right? So if you just did a quiz at the end of 2016 and you said, when was the last time I wept with somebody who was weeping in 2016? And when did I rejoice and come alongside and celebrate what God was doing in somebody else's life? And let them know how much that means to me, too, that this goodness has been visited into your life. See, you know, the reason why this becomes hard is because we become self-absorbed. And I'm not paying attention to your tears. And I don't know your successes either because I'm just paying attention to when I'm crying. And I know everything about when I'm succeeding. And I sure want you to participate in that with me, but I don't know if I'm doing real well in participating in it with you. And God says, that's not what I had in mind to be my people. I want you to be intentional about this. You recognize this is not Mount Sinai under the law. This is under grace. And I think there's a whole lot here, more here, quite honestly, than what's under the law. 
Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. Listen, you're about to enter the land. 2017 is coming. And the people that live in the land with you, these are civil laws that govern you. Do you have intentions in 2017 to live in harmony with the people in the land that you're with? Know any people right now that you're at odds with? You don't feel like doing the work to work through that, fix that? And the Bible commands you to live in harmony in as much as possible. It's going to go on and say live in peace with one another. In verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never do it. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right, question. Is it our intention to live in the land of our relationships like this? This was God's idea for them, right? He covered moral issues, civil issues, and ceremonial issues before they went into the land to express the life of God in that place. And we still have those same issues in our midst, right? Ephesians 4 These are just tons of relational verses. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Whether you've got Latin blood in you, you've got Italian blood in you. You know, everybody's got blood problems, don't they? You don't understand, man. I'm Italian. You know, I I think that's a license for... Everybody's got an issue, right? So have you ever met somebody who say, you know, I have no anger problem, I'm Swedish. I mean, it's like, whatever we come from, it's like we've got anger in our background, right? Well, the Bible just gets right into your Italian or your Latin face and says, be angry and don't sin. How's that? Don't do that. Stop it, right? That's what the grace of God says to you. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? In other words, don't let anger be in control of you. You be in control of the anger that's in you. The Bible actually acts like you can do this. Can you believe it? What a foolish book, huh? Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Listen, do you you see how we're not escaping the Ten Commandments here? Right? Jesus said anger is akin to murder in the New Testament, so he kind of gave you an upgrade in this category. And so here the Bible talks about angry and not sinning. Now we're into stealing. Don't steal. But rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, this is weighty stuff. But can you imagine God having a huddle with us, a Mount Sinai huddle where he gets together with us and he says, okay, listen, guys, you're, you're a few weeks from 2017. You're about to enter into 2017. Okay, now huddle up. Listen, do not take that anger and that malice, you, and that slander and that unforgiveness into that land. Because I promise you this, you go into that land with that, you will not fulfill my purposes in your life. So you're going to need to put that away before we get into that land. 
And listen, God needs to say that to some of us at the end of 2016. Enough with letting something like bitterness travel with us into another year. But you don't know what that person did. You don't, you don't understand. Listen, I, you know, you want to take responsibility, you want to make excuses. Can I just tell you something? The only thing that you need in your life to be able to act in a forgiving manner towards another human being is to have received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the only thing you need. You don't need that person to go back and fix the past. You don't need them to promise to do better in the future. You don't need them to grovel and cry at your feet and beg for your forgiveness. Now, if you want to restore the relationship fully, they're going to have to come to you. But for you to get free from the bitterness of it, all you need is to have tasted the forgiveness you have received through Jesus Christ. And then to scratch your head and say, if I have been forgiven that much, how can I not forgive someone who sinned against me? Listen, you're about to enter a land here, every one of us. 2017's got land to occupy, got promises and things that God wants to do in our lives. Put these things away. Do not take them into the land. You will not live the purpose of God out by taking this stuff with you. What about this last area? Being intentional in our lives ceremonially. This has to do with intentionally managing our relationship with God. Now, now think carefully about this moment. Because, right, we, we just, we've pulled up to Mount Sinai. They're getting to know God. And God does something at Mount Sinai that Evan talked on last week. that clarifies who God is and what he's like. Not completely, but delivers to us an aspect that lets us know you and I have these, this ceremonial component to our lives. These ceremonies involved ideas and practices that had to do with how one is going to approach God. How will you draw near to God? Well, you have this God who summons this meeting at Exodus and Mount Sinai. He summons them together. Here we are. And then he freaks them out. You remember this, right? This scene of God with all this noise and trumpet blare and fire and smoke and, and terrifying experience. God made clear in the Old Testament that you simply don't approach him on your terms. No human being gets around God flippantly, casually, Spare time-ishly. You don't approach this God this way. And he made sure that was clear. And if you look at some of the details, some people, you know, they bogue out on the book of Leviticus. It's kind of like, hey, I was cool until I got to Leviticus. And then I just like just gave up on it and started reading somewhere else. You know, you know the part you're giving up on is the detailedness of God. It's not attractive to us. It's like, God, can you just come when we whistle? That's the kind of relationship I want to have with you. I don't really know much about you. I just heard you got a lot of power and you do good kinds of cool stuff. And I got a lot going on. So can I just call you when I need you? 
I don't need you right now, so I'm not even paying attention to you. I haven't read about you. I haven't, haven't done anything. I haven't approached you, drawn near at all. But I, I got a problem, God. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a little PO'd, by the way, now that I've got your ear. I'm a little PO'd because you haven't showed up in my life the way I've wanted you to. What the? Are you kidding me? You read your Bible lately? You better zip it up. loud, obnoxious American think we just drive up to the throne of God and just let him have a piece of our mind. Uh, You know, uh, people got cooked in situations like that in the Old Testament. (laughs) This is where the original barbecue came from. I mean, it was like a live event because God wanted to make clear, you must be careful in approaching me. I am not like you. And this is not God being a jerk. This is, this is as loving as he can possibly get. God's going to tell you, I'm never going to stop being God. So if you decide to get around me in a way, it's like, hey, Moses, don't let them touch the mountain. I'm telling you, I'm going to come near to this thing. And if they touch the mountain, they're done. So God's made clear he is to be approached a certain way. And that's what ceremony is about. It's about how we draw near to God. And when we get into the New Testament, he's still the same God. But something has happened that has affected our ability to get near to God now. That's different than what we saw in the Old Testament. What Jesus Christ did on our behalf has changed not who God is and not the danger of who God is, But the access that sinful human beings now have because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, that has changed. So the ceremony has a different piece of information in it now that they didn't have here. Look look at what Hebrews does to this Old Testament revelation. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So I know I get the image of hippie Jesus walking around the earth with sandals and, you know, doing time with his buds doesn't mesh with the, oh my gosh, Moses, don't let God speak to us ever again. That's the same God. He's not having a bad day on one day. He's the same God in both of these settings. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. This is Mount Sinai, right? For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Just just for a moment, don't don't turn this into Disneyland. You do know Isaiah chapter 6 has Isaiah peering into heaven. And when he sees the purity and the might and the power of this setting, he falls on his face. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And God does for him what the New Testament does for us, picks him up and sets him in a place clean before this throne. 
But the right response for humanity is to recognize, I better duck. Rather than saying, oh, what's up, man? Me and the man upstairs, you know, man upstairs. Oh. Can no one ever use that word in my presence, please? <laughs> it screams, I don't know God, and I'm using a term that I have no idea what I'm talking about. This God has a name. He is a certain way. And he made sure we knew that. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This is what has made such a difference in why you and I stand where everybody else ran. Because our mediator has finished the work. They awaited it being done, but ours has finished it so that God is fully satisfied with what Christ has done to allow sinners to stand in the presence of God and draw near to him. But to draw near to him Right, hold on to that phrase, right? Because that's ceremony. There was ceremony in the Old Testament. There is ceremony in the New. You and I still draw near. And I'm concerned about this because we're busy people, right? And 2017 is coming and we've got a thousand categories that we're trying to manage. I don't know that I got time for ceremony. Well, I need ceremony. I need it in the New Covenant. I need it in my life. Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us then, that then has to do with what Jesus did, since he's done what he's done for us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's ceremony. That's managing how I approach God. I'm going to come near to him on some kind of regular basis and encounter him that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You're going into the land. There's going to be enemies there. There's going to be problems there. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to deal with people. They're going to sin against you. The best of your friends, your own spouse, are going to sin against you. You're going to have need of grace and help in that moment. And if you got no ceremony in your life in that land, you're going to be sucking air. Because where are you going to get the grace and the help in the time of need? Because you got no ceremony. You don't know anything about drawing near to God. You got no practice of that. You've gone into the land of milk and honey and you're chasing everything that's available in it. And because you're chasing everything, you've let ceremony get smaller and smaller and smaller. So I don't know how to draw near to God. But what are you going to do when you need grace and mercy to help in a time of need? You're going to go without. See, this, this is wise, isn't it? Right, before we go looking at the Old Testament and saying, hey, what part of that do we not need? Can we just take with us what we do need? I still need ceremony in my life. I need ceremonial regulations in my life if I'm going to dwell in this land. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us do ceremony. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love 
and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. That's ceremony. What we're doing here today is ceremony. It has to do with how we approach God. It has to do with how we draw near to God. Can I say you need to be in this meeting? Because it's part of the ceremony that God has created for us to live in the land that we live in. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? Uh, out of time. Right, when you look in there in Exodus, let me just give you one more thing and we'll trust it'll make sense. In, in chapter 23, he's going to install some of this ceremony by highlighting some things. There, there is a sense that you and I need ceremony in our lives. We need regular, appointed types of interaction and drawing near to God. And God commands us to do it the way Deuteronomy says, for our good. Stop thinking that these are punishments, requirements of a mean God who killed joy, just wants to take you away from something fun you had planned. No, it's God's means of meeting us. Right, so this is gracious from God. Right? This is a regular thing. Exodus twenty two twenty nine. 29. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the flow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen, your sheep. Seven days it will be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. Every form of increase that comes into our lives, God says, turn around and give that back to me. Give it to me first before you go live your life. I need that. Sometimes you hear the tithe principle and it's kind of like, oh man, it's like celebrating governmental tax. No, it's God rescuing me from losing sight of him. You know, almost nothing will make you lose sight of God faster than your money or your need for it, your dependency on it. That's why God addresses it. Not to be some cruel dictator but to get our attention. And he turns around and he installs the, the Sabbath every week. Every week, right? There's a regulation, verse 12 of chapter 23. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest. The son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Everybody gets a break. Nobody works on that day. But we're going to lose wages. We're going to lose profits. It's going to be a problem. That's not what's most important. You need ceremony in your life. He installs the festivals that happen throughout the year because you need points to remember me. That's not just an old covenant thing, right? That's a today thing. That there is still a need in our hearts and our lives to draw near to God on a regular basis. So here we are. Eric, you can come back up. Here we are venturing into 2017. This is a very helpful, I think it's wise from God. I just didn't want us to skirt past this and, and miss the obvious. When God had a huddle to say, hey, there's a land in front of you, a land that I'm sending you into to fulfill my purposes. Be intentional about your morality, about your civility, and about your ceremony. That's what God did. Those are the three things God chose to rehearse with them before they went into the land. All right, so you and I are about to go into some kind of a land. Right, You've got land in front of you. Right, we've called it 2017. 
You got stuff coming in 2017? You got a marriage relationship, family. You got a job. You got a job opportunity. You got extended family. You've got conflicts in the land. Right, this land's got characteristics to it. How important? Can you stop with me right now and just think for a second? Lord, what, what has been my intentionality in these three areas in 2016? What, am, am, I, am I healthy in the way in which I've created boundaries for myself? Where I've said no, where I need to say no. Where it's wise to say no, when it's wise to say no. God, is that, is that healthy in my life? Or if I just let myself off the hook, I'm, I'm watching things I, I have no business watching. I need to have said no to that. I'm eating things that I need to have said no to that. And how, how, how are your relationships? Are they full of conflict? Are they unresolved? Have you wronged people and not made right with them what you did wrong to them? Are you avoiding people because they're just too much trouble? Are you intentional? towards the poor and the needy? Are you laying up for others? Are you thinking that I need to live a life that has space in my life for other people because God's called me to have some sense of people in my life? So as you exit 2016, what, what's that looking like for you? Is God stopping you right now this morning and saying, hey, um, I need you to come into agreement with me. So we can go into 2017 and fulfill the purposes I've got in your life. And I think the most important one, but you know, interestingly in the Bible, these are all three, they're kind of, they're woven together. You don't get to cleanly say moral, civil, ceremonial. They're all kind of touching each other. But the ceremonial dimension of your life, what, what, 2016's coming to a close. What is your approach to God been like? How have you related to him? How have you drawn near to him to receive? What a blessing. To receive grace and mercy, to find help in our lives, to have our minds renewed and our hearts changed. You know the old adage, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting what you got. So if 2016 was like, oh, Good riddance. I'm so glad this stinking year is over with. It was miserable. Right, can, you, can you just for a second stop and, and see, was it miserable because of these three issues have been done poorly and unwisely? And if you don't adjust these, you're just taking misery with you into 2017. Let's bow our hearts together just for a moment and pray. Lord, I'm so thankful as I read your word. Thank you for rescuing me from disdaining your law, from looking upon wisdom in a way that I don't let it benefit me. I don't let it serve me. God, I see in these people's lives what I see from my own life today, what I see for us as a people today, a God who has called us out of the land of slavery into a land of promise, a land where he will dwell with us uniquely as a people like no other people in the world. But even though you will dwell with us, 
whether it's through tabernacle or through being born again by the Spirit. God, we still need wisdom to self-manage. And we still need wisdom and guidance to relate to others. And we still need ceremony in our lives, Lord, to draw near to you, to know you, to be affected by you. So, Lord, would you let this word give us wisdom in how we live? Give us some categories to diagnose. Lord, where am, where am I struggling this year? What have I set aside? Lord, let us draw near to you. Let's draw near this morning. Let's draw near in the midst of the hustle and bustle of December at the close of 2016. God, let us this morning draw near with the intention of coming into agreement with you. God, we agree with you. We need this wisdom in our lives. We ask for grace, enablement, power, tenacity, from the Spirit, Lord, thank you that we are the people on the other side of the cross who live with an empowerment like these guys didn't know. New life by the Spirit, not dwelling in a tent made with human hands, but dwelling in these tents and in our hearts. So God, what hope we have to live this coming year entering a land full of your goodness and your promise full of your power, full of fruitfulness in the land. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.